we have evidence that Dr. Evil has developed a time machine and has traveled back to the year 1969. Luckily, we too have developed a time travel device to transport you back to the 60s. This is where you input your destination. Wait a tick. Basil, if I travel back to 1969 and I was frozen in 1967, presumably I could go visit my frozen self. But if I'm still frozen in 1967, how could I have been unthawed in the 90s and travel back to... Oh no, I've gone cross-eyed. That was International Man of Mystery, Austin Powers getting totally tangled traversing time travel in Spy Spoof, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. This week, we're trying to bend our own minds around Christopher Nolan's latest sci-fi film, Tenet. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films. You're listening to Cellcast. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Sam. I suggest you don't worry about this sort of thing and just enjoy yourself. That goes for you all, too. So this week, we watch Christopher Nolan's new science fiction thriller, Tenet, and Sam's going to tell you the plot. A CIA operative known as the protagonist is sent to investigate how a Russian billionaire known as Andrei Sartor has weapons which have their entropy inverted. Upon discovering that Sartor is being sent material from the future, the protagonist gets close to Sartor's wife Kat in order to find out more information. With the help of an intelligence operative Neil, the protagonist tries to stop Sartor from ending the world in the present day by destroying a mysterious algorithm that has been sent from scientists in the future. Or, as a haiku, spy die. But don't die. Stop baddie. Link with time tech. Back to the future. That made as much sense as the film did. (laughs) I think I got the main points in. Did I? Yeah. I mean, yeah, weirdly, yeah. As I say, it felt like the experience of watching two and a half hours of whatever it is. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, and here's a clip. All I have for you is a word. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm getting here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike, bring me in. You really want to know? He can communicate with the future. Time travel? No. Inversion? Name it and pull the trigger. You're shooting the bullet. You're catching it. Oh. Well, I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. All right, so this was one of the um, films we were most looking forward to this year. We're both massive Christopher Nolan fans. I think it's worth saying at the beginning of this. Uh, we've been watching his career for a long time. And even some of his more controversial offerings always have some merit to it. But ultimately, this this was the worst experience I've had with a Christopher Nolan film. I don't know if I'd call it a bad movie. 
I'm trying to be restrained and give him a certain benefit of the doubt because I think there's a chance on rewatch that this could get better. But my initial reaction is real, real frustration and kind of irritation with this really poorly made, poorly planned piece of work. And I'm actually pretty annoyed at the critical lauding it's getting. Uh, for reasons that are going to become clear, but that's me in a, in a nutshell. Uh, what's how, what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, Christopher Nolan is one of these directors that can unite independent cinema and mainstream cinema. So he makes these like huge films, but I think a lot of film critics like to talk about how they feel like because of the tone and the themes within them, they feel like independent films, but made for hundreds of millions of dollars. So there's like very personal stories in there, but um, around all these like huge visual effects. And I think he is one of the most famous directors of our generation. Yeah, because as he's made films, he started off incredibly low budget with something like Following, and then obviously moved into Memento, which um, yeah, even though that was released with Fox Searchlight Pictures. It still was only made for about um, $4 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little bit more. But yeah, now we see him make films for $225 million, which was how Tenet cost. And and yeah, his films are, are a big event. They, they come out every two to three years. And they're some of the highest grossing films. And some of the most talked about films of that year. But this, without doubt, is his most divisive. I think you've alludes to the fact that some film critics have given this five stars and, and said, yeah, it's it's a monumental achievement. But I've seen other people come out and say it's it's an absolute turd of a film, I think, <laughs> mainly because it's just so hard to follow um, and so hard to digest, which, um, yeah, I guess we can expand on. Let, let's start off by saying that I think we decided to do spoilers in this review because it is a difficult film to properly pull apart without spoilers. But... We've given you the main gist of it. Yeah, and uh, if you are listening to it and you haven't seen it, I wish I was you because I spent months avoiding spoilers for this film with the irony being I wish I could have gone in knowing what would happen (laughs) so I could even grasp a little bit of what happened. In the film, they go through a turnstile which sort of inverts time and I myself wish I could have gone in one of those turnstiles to sort of leave notes for myself in the past to be able to go in with like a little bit of information about the film because I've never had that experience before where I've wanted to go in completely blind and come out and say, oh, I wish I'd known more. I wish I'd known key plot points. I wish I'd known like a little bit of spoilers just so I keep with the film. The, 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 this film is dominated for me by, by one main experience. Uh, there may be lots of things about it that are... Uh, Little elements that I liked. It, it still does a lot of big action very impressively. It's an ambitious film. It's visually got a lot of really good things going on there. There are lots of like little visual hints that I think you'll see in, in rewatches. So if that's your bag, then absolutely go for it. Being a James Bond fan, I think what's interesting about it is that it's actually a kind of most Bondy. Christopher Nolan film yet and Christopher Nolan also loves Bond films but it's definitely got the feeling of 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 one it it not just being about spies but also having a a supervillain 
living in a glamorous location and then the kind of Bond archetype in, in, in the protagonist having to do investigative work with uh, occasional peril rather than it, it just being like an out-and-out action thriller all the way up to the finale, which is a kind of a big battle between two groups of of like kind of goodies and baddies and that's actually very much like old James Bond films that's exactly what they used to do is rather than just be Bond versus whoever it was actually Bond plus like a kind of army of high-tech spies versus the, the villain in a volcano or on a spaceship or something and so I think it's interesting watching him draw from that uh, from that angle yeah I've after the film I went back and watched loads of promo for it um, with Christopher Nolan and I'm I noticed straight away how much he talks about the spy genre the way that he pushed this film or the way that he used uh, he, the way that he talked about it in the media he, he said this is my ode to the spy genre and he said I grew up watching it and I've always wanted to make yeah, a film I don't think he, I don't think I saw him use James Bond in the way he would describe it but but yeah yeah absolutely this is a way to yeah to make a big expensive spy film with loads of tropes and um yeah loads of events that you would find within that genre yeah and that's that's really interesting and unfortunately so my main thing about Tenet why I really hated the experience and I'll be honest I, I did by the end I was really hating the experience uh, is that yeah, I, I just didn't get it. I, I just couldn't follow it. It is nigh-on incomprehensible. I know that there's an idea that science fiction, and a lot of science fiction films, so even some made already by Christopher Nolan, is complicated, and that rewatches are sometimes required to fully appreciate them. But you shouldn't have to re-watch the film to understand what was going on. There's just larger chunks of this film that I just didn't know what was going on. Large parts of the concept that I have questions about, that I felt got in the way of me watching it. And really, the film just weaves such an incomprehensible ball of yarn over the chairs and over the tables and over itself that I spent my time trying to unpick that ball of yarn when I was supposed to be enjoying what was going on on screen. You see, that that's the thing, is that science fiction can be complicated. But, but films manage to communicate concepts all the time that you understand, that you suspend your disbelief and enjoy whatever results are on the screen afterwards. You know, The Matrix does this. Back to the Future does this. Looper does this. Even Inception does this. Another Christopher Nolan film, right? But Tenet does not do this. It explains something really quickly and poorly. There's an action scene. I'm lost, and I don't know what the stakes are, and so I'm just scratching my head trying to work out what's going on. Yeah, Christopher Nolan's always been um, praised for not treating his audiences like idiots. So, obviously, the big comparison is that when you go into a Transformers film, you are treated like an idiot like Michael Bay, because he says all you want is just complete, like, vacuous entertainment. And it's horrible to watch, but obviously, in the blockbusters that Nolan's made, he incorporates these big, heavy themes and... There's always like a cerebral nature to his films, but I felt watching Tenet, it's like, oh, I needed to have a degree in theoretical physics to properly grasp it. And I don't think anyone should really feel like that watching the film, which is why I'm really interested in what the like the multiplex audience is going to think of this. I mean, I couldn't... And again, this is we've only watched it once, and... 
personally, I didn't really want to do a podcast after I've only seen Tenet once. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, completely honestly, like I just think it is a film that is probably better to talk about second or third or even fourth time watching it because you will have got your head around some big heavy plot devices. But aside from that, that you know, we were speaking about it as we watched it for the first time. Yeah, I, I just felt completely lost and I feel like this is beyond being able to enjoy this film because after every 15 minutes you're kind of like okay what what time frame are they in who's this character again what what what, what does this mean what what are the rules here but that, i mean that's that's fine like if if we if we go back in years to come and go oh tenet's actually maybe one of his best films i don't mind going back on myself or, or on this but this is about the first time watching it and actually i don't really think it's good enough that you just say oh, you have to go back and buy another cinema ticket and watch it all over again. I don't think that's good enough. I think that a film, you, you should, like I said, you should go back and see details. You shouldn't have to watch it twice to comprehend the plot, to actually be able to watch it instead of just going, oh, well, stuff's just sort of happening and I have no clue why. What that shows is bad storytelling. That's bad filmmaking. That's someone that hasn't competently told the plot or the concept across. And I'm putting that squarely on Christopher Nolan. I think you should design a film, at least on the first watch, to be understandable. I could write this off as like, you know, that maybe I'm just the one, you know, maybe I'm confused or we're confused. You know, maybe this just isn't clicking with us and understand it. But do you know what's different about this? It's that no one gets it. I haven't seen one review, barely any comment on the internet or anything from anyone that's watched this that doesn't either, either say outright or at least not so subtly suggest that they didn't understand large chunks of the film. That is ridiculous. That is insane. That that is just the primary response from everyone is, I don't get it. I couldn't follow this. I know, I'm glad those people who are honest about it. What I hate is the bullshit merchants out there who give reviews, which a lot lot of generalisations and... They talk about the like the the music, or they talk about the cinematography, which is great. It's a Christopher Nolan film. It is going to be great. It's going to look amazing. The way that he approaches stunts and they all have to be, you know, ninety nine percent real is just extraordinary. And the months that it takes to construct those big sequences, you know, even watching it in the cinema, you you feel you know grateful that a filmmaker has put that much time and effort into making it look real and everything they capture on screen or you know 99% of everything they capture on screen is is real and it looks it does look great yeah but then I just think I've seen a lot of people not wanting to admit that it was just so difficult to follow and look or they use code they use code they say things like oh it's overwhelming it's like just just say you didn't get it You, you, you couldn't follow it like the rest of us yeah, yeah, exactly. But look, I've also seen people who've gone to see it a second time, and they've completely changed their mind about it. I, I, and you know, again, it's just based on like my my experience of seeing people on social media. But yeah, they've gone to see it again. They've been able to get their head around it. They've been able to enjoy it a lot more. So maybe it is just a, a film that you have to see see twice. If but but again, like I think I, I think I agree with you with that. Actually, like the first time is such a frustrating experience that. And you need to have like some nuggets of plot or information that you can hold on to. And I and I I couldn't personally do it with with the first viewing. I think the important comparison to make is with Inception, where it's a difficult concept to grasp. And I know people that didn't get it like completely. But I still think if you don't see all the nuances, or if you still don't 
get some of the sort of the complex information within it, you still understand what the team has to do. You still understand what the heist is within Inception. And actually, towards the end, you kind of feel, um, you know, with the the spinning top, you understand what that's about. You're like, okay, this is what the film's been leading towards. And, you know, it's got a very ambiguous ending. But there are still opinions that you can make based on that ending. And I couldn't really make an opinion no. on, on the ending of Tenet because... I just, I just, I just couldn't grasp it at all. And I think that's why I wanted to do this podcast because I do at least want to document, even if I change my mind on this film later on. I want to document how frustrating and how disappointing it was to walk out of Tenet that first time. Before we just like keep throwing this same complaint at it, I mean, let, I'm trying to get some examples of this. Yeah. What, what are the, what are the things that happen? So, I mean, early on, Clement uh, Posey plays a scientist who teaches uh, the protagonist the rules of the of inverting things. Mm. But she does this by catching a bullet in reverse. The bullet jumps off a table and onto there, and she says that this bullet is inverted through this technique from the future, and then the protagonist has to learn to do this thing with the bullet. And he tries it first, it doesn't work. She says, you have to have dropped it. But then he doesn't drop it. He then just catches it. Now, whether he's thinking in his mind that he dropped it, it's not really clear. And so, but then I just go, and then it just moves on to the next bit. And I'm just like, oh, hang on, what, well, how does this work? And then, and then already I'm kind of going in this same scene. I'm going like, well, why are there inverted bullets? What's the point of them? I mean, I understand that later on we learn that they're just, that inversion has this whole bigger thing. But what does everybody think about inverted bullets now? I mean, are they useful for anything are they being used because they're being sold by arms dealers but are they really useful for anything you can't use them to kill someone that you previously couldn't kill um from just firing a conventional bullet because you still have to kill that person you still have to assassinate that person and then get the bullet and then invert it i'm really i'm just already i'm lost i'm lost to to why these bullets are here why they're on the black market why they're being sold i I don't know why they're here and it's Mm -hmm. it's like okay fine and but then but then i just go oh i don't know and then we move on to the next bit of the story but isn't that the it's the fundamentals right it's the fundamentals of the of the the world that they create yeah so that first bit yeah with um with the scientists that you sort of you're trying to learn the very basics along with the protagonist but it's still a massive struggle. Yeah. What was, my, what was a massive struggle for me? They kind of don't do multiple universes in this. The idea is that it is a, a a closed loop. So everything that's happening has already happened. You can't really change the past. But... Um, the grandfather paradox. The grandfather paradox, yeah, which they keep referring <laughs> to. Uh, so you can't go back and change something because that would mean that you change something means that you'd never time travel, so it's it's never going to work. You're not supposed to be able to change anything, but at the end it's revealed that Neil saves the protagonist's life at the beginning of the film. Yeah. So that's multiple timelines. So there are multiple timelines. I don't know. I'm just trying to log as many of these things that I have a, I have a problem with. So then all the fights are playing out, but I don't really understand why the fight is dramatic or scary scary because it's like I can't really follow it I don't know what the danger is you don't have this you don't have this problem in the matrix when they're describing what you can and can't do in the matrix even though maybe it's slightly ambiguous you you're getting an idea in several different sequences that that, that really work and and then this uh, this doesn't really if, if we're going to get into specifics for me I was actually 
Okay, okay. So, so yeah, the, the fundamentals were different for me, but I did understand the main concept of time inversion. Right. Halfway through this film, there's a polonium heist, and it's after the protagonist has got to know Sartor pretty well. Like, you know, there's there's been a lot of development between those two characters, and right. then we've also had the introduction of Neil, who's you know aiding the protagonist on this mission. There's a polonium heist, and that's when time inversion sort of really goes into like fifth gear really right where you're treated to the idea of like a turnstile which can reverse time and send characters back into the past right and that for me was when i it just went completely yeah over I, my head. I, I, compli- it, I really lost it then as well it's at that point that neil kind of reveals that he's kind of been a lot he's he's known about it all this whole time and mm. he's had he's actually had more information or he's been be, he's been aware of the uh, of what the protagonist is trying to do so it's not because I think it, in the first part of the film Neil is kind of hired by the protagonist to help him and then actually we learn oh Neil's been in with it all along really um, so yeah and it, it's, it's at that point where um, yeah they, they start going start going back into the past and um, yeah I, I, I started to really struggle and then I was just watching these these big expensive sequences thinking oh yeah this is this is interesting I kind of wish I wish I was following what, what, yeah. what why they needed to do this by the way Kenneth Branagh like goes from sometimes being really good in this to being really really terrible oh you've also I thought he was really good all the way through no when he starts yelling about like tigers and stuff <laughs> I, I just I thought like this is this is this is crap this is really really plastic I have seen him really ham it up in um in films before like gone like quite camp really with some of his performances and I, I thought there was some sort of really quite intense scenes with him there were actually but, but that's the thing right like the the bit where he's going to beat cat is really terrifying really tense but then sometimes when he starts like yelling and turning up to 10 he becomes really laughable and the script the, the script is really bad in those bits as well so I mean I, I can't yeah like I so said he's really inconsistent well actually I think the script is part of the problem because um, obviously what you need in the dialogue is is explanation what Nolan's basically like trying to relate to the audience there needs to be like a little bit more clarity yeah. because they use he uses a lot of um, like scientific terminology which, which again is like that's his idea of like he's not treating his audience like idiots but it was also like the way that they kept explaining things by saying like, "Off, oh, this thing has also happened in the future. Oh, also, by the way, this thing has also happened in the future. And this other thing has happened in the future as well. It's all this stuff that's going, that's happening off screen that sounds big and important, but it means that these characters just have to exposition at us. And I really, uh, and that was really, that was just really fucking boring. Like, I don't, I don't want to, hear someone telling these end stories certainly certainly not the way they told it it really wasn't it really wasn't an engaging way to tell you about what was going on the other uh, phrase was like uh, was it temp- like the oh, pincer temporal movement pincer temporal pincer movement, pincer movement oh yeah. my god what <laughs> is, what is the what are they talking about like i don't the bit where i completely lost patience with the film was the big action sequence at the end where Aaron Taylor Johnson says, like, we're going to do a temporal pincer movement now. One team, that's that's like team A is gonna go who are red are gonna go forward in time, team B are going back in time. Yeah. And they've already brought us information from the past about this mission because so it's we already can happened. act it because it's already happened. Yeah. But I thought that you couldn't change things in the past. 
because they said they couldn't change things, but they have brought them back information so they can, but they're not really changing, but I guess they're not really changing things in the past because it's already happened that they've gone back. You see how I'm confused? See how I'm confused? I'm not really following what this is. And then I'm going, okay, but then he keeps talking. He's telling us how it's going to work. But then in the middle, the point is, is at the end of the day, this is all just a distraction because they're actually going off to stop a bomb. I, I don't, I didn't get it. I'm sorry. I mean, maybe I'm just going to keep, well, I'm going to watch it a few more times or something and I'm going to get it and it's going to be brilliant. But it's like right now, it is just the most irritating, frustrating, annoying experience I've had in cinema in, in just such a long time. Yeah, I think um, there's a line at the beginning of the film, and I, I don't know if you've actually already referenced it, but um, in a lot of reviews, people people said this. And it's, yeah, when uh, Clemens Posey says, um, don't try to understand it, just feel it. And I always think that, that Nolan at that point m- must think that actually this is beyond a lot of audiences. And this is a big, expensive spy action film. And it's almost like, look, if you don't understand the the framework, then just enjoy it. But <laughs> for me, it was like, well, I'm trying so hard to follow it. I'm not really concentrating on what's going on. There's this fight sequence that happens between Neil and the protagonist, um, and it ends up that they start like what well, they're fighting one another, but they you know they're coming through time at the same time. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, it's within, it's, it's basically within Oslo. It's within it's within within the turnstile. Yeah, and, and yeah, and it, it's it's amazing because it's got lots of like reversed fighting, and and yeah, there are. There are so many sort of um, incidents where I just thought, oh, how, I wonder how they managed to to film that, but. But I didn't really care. I felt I felt quite empty because even though these set pieces looked superb, I was already trying to understand what happened in the previous scene. And it's like I, I completely get that. Yeah, if you don't if you don't understand it, just feel it. Just watch this this very elegant and interesting action. But I can't I can't feel it if I don't understand. It. Yes, <laughs> that's, I, and that's, exactly. And that, I don't. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Like I, I, what I say to that is, I say fuck that. <laughs> I say, I say fuck that. Like I, it's fine not understanding the details. It's fine having to suspend your disbelief. You always have to suspend your disbelief, especially with time travel movies. But it's not so much the framework; it's the absolute bare bones. I, I understand this thing about inversion. You, you're turning. Something's entropy, so it moves backwards through time rather than forwards. That's the basic concept. But how that really makes sense, how that fits in with all the other events of the film, I became more and more disassociated with it. And then I can't feel it. I can't follow a final action scene where it's jumping between three, possibly four different perspectives of time. They're trying to complete something in a mission, in a big battle. And I don't really understand how all these pieces are linked together. I think there's probably a way, using some editing techniques, that you could have made all this stuff a bit clearer. But he didn't. And I and I got and I just feel I just feel confused. So To conclude. <laughs> to conclude I might go back and watch it again and give it a completely different review. I might start watching it several times and really start to get something special out of it. And I, I hope I will document if that happens, perhaps on future podcasts. But 
right now I just really want to convey how I just didn't get it I couldn't really follow it and it's the film's fault um, it's poorly told science fiction and whatever future watchings unveil and maybe I will like it one day right now I hated it I actually came out of this just really really hating it because I felt that the the bones of this are wrong the bones of this are an, an ambitious science fiction that collapses in on itself because it doesn't understand some of the bare things of, of storytelling yeah the experience for me was not good um, I found it like almost like a little bit suffocating in a way and I never thought I'd have that when watching a Christopher Nolan film in the cinema I know people who have been to this a second time and they say they've enjoyed it I'm really looking forward to that experience I really wish that had happened the first time around and I don't know whether the film will forever be tainted for me because I had that really bad experience um, the first time around and I don't think anybody <laughs> and I don't think like I don't think anybody should really like have to put up with that and I do think there'll be people walking out of this film because if you can't comprehend it if you're there for a bit of entertainment then that'll be incredibly difficult but yeah visually and Visually, technically, and you know the the, the score is superb, um, but I couldn't enjoy any of those elements because the plot was labyrinthian and not in a good way. And I'll tell you what: who doesn't ha- even have who doesn't have a clue? The cast. I, I, I watch your videos. Robert Pattinson saying, "When I actually watched, first watched it, I was really relieved because I got it more than I realised." Blissfully unaware. Blissfully unaware during all the filming. John David Washington saying. I don't want people to necessarily get it the first time, which means that he doesn't understand really what's going on. Um, Kenneth Branagh says that he was sort of, he, he was playing with someone, which I'm taking to mean as he was playing someone who experiments with the consequences of going back in time and changing things. But no, he doesn't. Sator wants to destroy all of existence. He doesn't want to go back and change things. Like, why? Like, not even the cast was following this. I mean, the last bit with 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 Kenny B. Maybe I'll, he was just in kind of promotion mode, and the the interviewer asked him a question, so I can't be too harsh on him. But my God! And if you want to put yourself through it, Tenet is out at cinemas right now. There are people in the future who need us. We need Tenet. We need to save them here and now. It's reversing the flow of time. Doesn't us being here now mean it never happened? So, if you did enjoy Tenet, then I would recommend a film from 2004 called Primer. Primer was made on a micro-budget of $7,000 and is the story of two men, Aaron and Abe, who invent a time-traveling machine by mistake. They then use this machine to travel back in time to bet on the stock markets and slowly accumulate wealth. However, things turn sour as both men individually travel back as past and future versions of themselves meddle with time travel to cause chaos and disruption. There's no way I would tell anyone about this. No way. Can you think of any reason that you might? No, I can't. Sometimes we do things, you know, we don't know how we got no, to that. No, I can't. Can't what? I can't think of any reason why I would. There was value in the thing, clearly, that they were certain of. 
Primer sounded like an ordeal to make, with Shane Curriff directing, writing, editing, shooting, and starring in the film, as well as doing pretty much everything else on it too. It was years and years in the making, not only writing but post-production too. Initially shown at the Sundance Film Festival, Primer got a cult following on the independent film scene and would go on to make roughly $800,000 at the box office. Why did it become such a cult hit? I think Primer's attraction comes from its esoteric nature. It never dumbs down the time travel aspect, and the characters in the film all use language specific to physics. Visually, it has an overexposed and dusty look. Think of the colour of some of the New Mexico scenes in Breaking Bad if that isn't too much of a random reference. Yeah, so basically, like Tenant, Primer is just um, a very convoluted time travel story. So yeah, it's one of those films that you have to go in engaged, and you have to really follow the plot, and um, yeah, the different sort of yeah, time travel um, escapades that happen in it. But... Overall, it's just very, very satisfying, and it is easier to f follow than Tenet. I mean, I've seen it twice. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but even when there were bits of Tenet I was grasping, I did think of Primer in the fact that you are trying to follow these characters within um, this universe of different time periods, and you see the like the cause and effect that time travel can have. So, yeah, I mean, the disparity between the two budgets i think is also why i wanted to pick it i mean like tenet is one of the most expensive films ever made yeah. and primer like costs seven thousand dollars and they do a really good job on primer because it, it looks like it costs at least 10 times the budget of that if not more so the fact that they managed to make it at all and make it work and and yeah have this like phenomenal success that people are still talking about today it just shows the care and attention that went into producing such a high concept film and they um yeah and Shane Carroll massively delivered on that is it i mean you're recommending it because it's also a it's famously complex um it's part of the satisfaction of watching primer also kind of managing to put all the pieces together in your head I think so, yeah. I mean, I've, as I said, I've seen it twice, and um, I think I maybe got the plot sort of 70 or 80% compared to about 10% of Tenet. Well, maybe, maybe a bit more than that, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think actually, like, when you understand why, um, yeah, stuff has happened in Primer, and you, you, man you, and you manage to link, like, the, the events of the film, then, yeah, it becomes like, um, it becomes like a lot more satisfying, and I think it's also a really good character study, like Aaron and Abe, who are the two main characters. It's interesting to see their collaboration, but then the breakdown between them. You can sort of see how this, like, insane invention would cause fiction, even, like, between two people who are really, really close. And, like, I think the idea of inventing a time machine and you're in your garage feels like a bit of a lazy sitcom idea. Like, it just feels like a little bit silly in a way. But, like, Primer approaches the idea from, like, a really cerebral point of view, and it, it takes it, like, incredibly seriously, and, yeah, that's why you do have all this, like, terminology that feels just so genuine, and you, you sort of could believe that something like that could happen. It's why it does have this, like, huge interest, because the, the world that it's set in, you feel that two people like this could just accidentally discover a way to, yeah, create... Um, create time travel and the, I think the idea is that they can go back six hours so even though so the idea is that they go back in six hours right and then that's how they're able to yeah see what's happened within the stock market in that time and and you know bet on it and make money um and yeah and they and they, they it's it's approaching it in yeah in a very in a very clever um but yeah very tangible way hmm I'm not sure if I've ever seen it 
I can't remember. I probably would remember if I've seen it. Probably don't see it in the same month that you saw Tenet. No, no. Uh, I'm not going to. <laughs> and if you didn't like this, you should watch Looper. Timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly stuff always means that you have to take a ride on the old suspension disbelief train. Uh, but watch how it's done right in Ryan Johnson's excellent modern sci-fi actioner. In the future, murder is made nearly impossible to get away with thanks to a high-tech tracking system, but crime syndicates still need to whack people, so they use time travel technology to send them back to the uh, near future where our story takes place. Here, organised crime employs loopers, people responsible for executing and disposing of the bodies of the people to be whacked. It's an easy, well-paid job, but it comes with a catch. To make these murders fully untraceable... At some point, a looper will get sent his future self to dispose of and close the loop. When one such looper, Joe, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, doesn't manage to kill his future self, played by Bruce Willis, he's going to have to dodge the vengeful crime syndicate and try and kill future Joe in order to get out from under them. But future Joe is here on a mission of his own. Time travel has not yet been invented. But 30 years from now, it will have been. I am one of many specialized assassins in our present called loopers. So when criminal organizations in the future need someone gone, they zap them back to me. And I eliminate the target from the future. Oh la la. Loopers are well paid. We live the good life. And the only rule is, never let your target escape, even if your target is you. What works in Looper is creating a new spin on a time travel story. The central question being, what if you had to fight yourself and why would you do it? But it's not just about time travel, it's also about a future world with new pieces that all complement that central plot. Low-grade psychics, designer drugs, wacky firearms, and societies teetering on the edge. It's a wonderful window dressing that slowly reveals itself as important. So the key point here is Looper, like Tennant, also features a character saying, or rather yelling in Looper's case, that the time travel rules don't matter. The difference here is that it doesn't. The central concept is clearly and concisely explained, the world around it is interesting so that I'm not thinking about any plot holes, but just enjoying the experience. Looper also shifts gear and location midway through, an ambitious idea to switch a story about the future to the countryside, but it's a surprising handbrake turn making the last half unfold in a really, really interesting way. It's wonderfully executed too, jumping perspectives just long enough to tell a piece of the story and then jumping back to continue the main one. There's variety in the storytelling, expositiony voiceovers at the beginning, juxtaposition silent montages later on, which also feel different from overwhelming power being wielded towards the end. It looks and feels beautiful, a dystopian poverty mixed with sparse, empty landscapes that are very well used. This isn't going to make your head spin like Tenet, and maybe that's going to be a negative for some of you who want your sci-fi stories, particularly time travel, to bounce around your head for weeks and keep you thinking about it. But you know what's great about Looper? It's coherent. It's great time travel sci-fi, told well, go back and rewatch this gem. <laughs> yeah, so you're basically saying that um, if you didn't like Tenet, 
um, then you should watch Looper because it's actually a good story. Yes, it is. Because you can actually you can actually fucking follow it. Yeah, you can understand what's going on. No, it's no, quality it, sci-fi. Yeah, and again, yeah, it is it is quality sci-fi. And they're both about time travel, right? But it's just that, like, I think just Looper just uh, and just the better character. There are much better characters in Looper. There are. I mean, you really care about um, Emily Blunt and her son, like all the way through. Mm. Um, Even little bit parts like the the kind of henchman of the leader of the syndicate who has a bit of a kind of daddy complex around him. Uh, he's really, like, pathetic and quite vile, but he's, like, a good antagonist towards the end. You know, just little moments that are really good. Yeah. Um, Rather than just one more guy in a suit rolling up. Yeah, and I think it sort of knows its limits as well a little bit, I think, Looper. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's the most expensive film ever made it must have been in that sort of like mid-budget which would have been somewhere between yeah maybe like 40 and 70 million dollars maybe a little bit more expensive yeah but, um yeah i think people responded to it it was top of the u.s box office i don't think it made was a it? huge amount of money yeah so there was there was a i know it was successful i didn't think yeah it was that there, there was a response to it and again i think it's one of those it's always nice to have a film that does commercially well and that's actually intelligent and there's actually like you've got a filmmaker like Ryan Johnson who is very smart and he's great at this story like that is obviously to do with time travel and with within the sci-fi genre but he's made it approachable and digestible which um, I don't think Tenet on first viewing ever did thank you so much for listening to Cellcast you can find and subscribe to us on Spotify iTunes Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud at Cellcast and come follow us on Twitter at Cell Magazine and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Cell Magazine